welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and today we're going to be taking a look at a book by Melinda Wenner Moyer called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't A-S-S-H-O-L-E-S's, assholes. Unfortunately, she uses that word in this title, but it is what it is. I am joined by Doxmo, Dr. Paul Smolin, and we're going to sit down and sort of break this book down and give you some information as to what this book has to offer, as well as do you want to read it? I initially chose this book because it is written similarly based on scientific information as to one of my favorite books, Nurture Shock by Ashley Merriman and Poe Bronson that I read many years ago. And so I had the idea that this book, How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, is a newer version of uh, a similar idea style for how to understand what's going on in the social sciences and parenting and, and just what's happening in society in general now, you know, a decade plus later. And so Paul and I sat down after we both have read the book and we gave our impressions, broke the book down in a way to help you, the reader, understand. For me, now sitting with this for quite a while, even after recording with Paul, I still think Nurture Shock is by far the better book. Um, I think Paul and I both gave this book a four out of five. I'm tempering that. I might even be dropping it down to a three out of five now after looking back through it again. Um, I think there's a bit too much politicization in this book and not enough of it just being, to me, strict science. Um, And, you know, social sciences are that what they are. They're not perfect. And I think she draws some conclusions that I find tenuous at best. Nonetheless, you know, for many people, they'll find this book to be very good. When I went online and read reviews, um, you know, a lot of folks loved it. So, you know, again, just opinions and you, the reader, gets to decide what you want to do and whether or not you agree. And that's fine. This is the beauty of life. Therefore, with that quick introduction, I'm going to turn it loose to Paul Smolin and myself discussing Melinda Wenner Moyer's book, How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. Enjoy. Good evening, Paul. Doc Smo is in the house, everyone. He is coming to us from lovely Charlotte on this uh, beautiful evening. And we are here to do our first inaugural book review. Now, as you all know, who followed Paul for many years, Doc Smo has done many book reviews, but this is our first joint book review. And we're going to look at a book called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't, unfortunately, I have to say this word, Assholes, by Melinda Wenner Moyer. And we picked this book, or more better yet, I picked this book because I love Scientific American, the journal, and she is a science writer who is well published, and she does write really great stuff. So I thought this would be a great book. So I'm going to turn it to you, Paul. Good evening. And how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you for that nice introduction. You know, it's it's cold in Charlotte tonight. I bet it's cold in Salisbury and, and Davidson or wherever you are. I am in Salisbury tonight. It is a little cold, about 50 degrees. I have actually a little thin gloves just in case I have to go out back to the hospital tonight. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you don't have to go back. Uh, me too. So let's dive into this book. So it is subtitled Science-Based Strategies for Better Parenting from Tots to Teens. And uh, as we know, uh, Ms. Moyer is a, uh, she has a master's 
um, from NYU in journalism, and she has an undergraduate degree in science. So she does come uh, pre-programmed with a fair amount of uh, uh, understanding of both the science literature as well as just literature in general. So from that perspective, I was very excited to read her book. And so let's talk a little bit about her book. What were your initial impressions as far as strengths and weaknesses? Um, let's, let's dive into it. Okay. Well, I mean, she's a journalist and she writes very well, I must say. And her, the voice that she writes in is very conversational, which I think makes it easy to read. Um, there's not a lot of scientific jargon. She'll put a few things, terms in here and there, but I don't think the average reader is going to be put off by that. Um, she does, she is somewhat self-deprecating I must give her that you know she'll tell stories of her own family very brief you know uh, but she'll talk about events of her friends and her family and uh, which I found drew me back into the to some of the parts that were a little less engaging um, I think her organization of the book was very good um, I think that uh, at the end of each chapter she reinforces the main points, um, which is always a good idea, I think, in a parenting book, because you know, some people just want to read that and uh, don't want to wade into all the different studies that, that go into those conclusions. Um, so overall, I found that the, the writing was good. The organization was good. Uh, I didn't really lose attention. Did you lose your attention as you were read, going, going through it? No, I'd agree with you. I think uh, those are the same points that I noted. I think her flow of writing is an easy one to keep your mind engaged to. And the topics in general are quite engaging, um, even if the science is being you know, drifted through in and out with the, with the story. So she does an excellent job of that. I, I do also love the way she ends each chapter with a to-do list because again there are a lot of folks who want the to-do list not only that it does reinforce that what you read you know it comes back to you very quickly when she states that because she then tends to do it in four or five bullet points but each one is described very eloquently and then at the end she goes okay remember these are the things you want to do and i think that's a very good writing style um certainly there's probably about like most books 50 percent of the book didn't really need to be there Mm -hmm. uh, because it's just over reinforcing, but in general, overall, I would definitely say that she she did a, a, a good job of, of, of flow and, and content. Well, she followed the rules of tell them what you're going to tell them, tell it to them, and then tell them what you told them. Yep, that's pretty much you know that's supposed to be the mark of a good speaker is somebody who communicates in that style. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. agree. Yeah, and she has strategies, what she calls strategies, which yeah. you know, I think some people might find very useful. Yeah. So when you think about it, um, looking at the way she broke up the chapters, you know, clearly many of the chapters are sort of uh, reinforced, um, concise points taken from other books and other researchers and then put into her own words as to how she thinks they should play out. And what did you think about that? Because clearly you read a book like Mindset by Carol Dweck, which is a fantastic book. And then, you know, in this case, Ms. Moyer takes a lot of from Dweck's worth and sprinkles it in here and there with her ideas and other things. So did you think there was that that was a good style too, of really 
you know, using her own personal experiences to blend within the framework of, of other experienced writers and researchers who have some relatively established science, actually social science. Yes, I, I agree. There, there's some stuff in there like, you know, Carol Dweck, like you're talking about. And, um, uh, I'm not good with names, but, uh, uh, the, the, the parenting style lady yeah. at, at, yep. at, uh, Berkeley, who's, yep. who's, whose research has been validated over and yep. over again. Uh, I thought I found that very, very useful. Um, yeah. Now, the, have you read any of Emily Oster's books? You know, no. the econ economist. Yeah. She she's an economist uh, who knows how statistics and she, and she knows how to evaluate studies. And she's taken a different sort of approach. And I would encourage your readers to or listeners to to maybe check her out. Um, uh, her first book, I think, was called Expecting More. And she she went through the recommendations by the American Academy of Obstetrics and took went in a very detailed way, went through the studies to say, well, is there really science behind this and how hard it, how good is that science or how weak is that science? And I've, she's done the same thing with um, a book about infancy. Uh, and uh, they're they're very interesting. So so. Oster's approach was very detailed. Let's really look at the science and see what's useful or not. This doesn't do any of that. She just accepts the science, doesn't comment on it, just takes it and makes conclusions and tries to be practical in that way. They're both, in my mind, they're both practical approaches. I found the Oster approach a little more interesting, but that's just me. Yeah, and I think when you think about social science research in general, very much akin to nutrition science research, where the variables are incredibly large mm -hmm. and time changes too. And so when you look at the studies in, that she references often in the book, they're very small studies. Um, they're very difficult to revalidate. I think you're going to get into this, but we know that many studies in, in this space are different, difficult to, to validate. So one of the concerns, and we'll get into the concerns in, a, in, in the next second, but one of my concerns with the book, and I know you shared this when we talked about it offline, is that she really expresses that a lot of this stuff is settled science or settled dogma. And I have a really hard time with that in a bunch of the chapters. I think there are some pieces that seem to be settled, but in medicine, we know very clearly nothing is settled until right. the next piece of information comes along to unsettle what we believe to be before to be true. I, and so I, you know, what, what would you say to that part of this? Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. You know, science isn't settled. It's never settled. It's a right. constant search for you know, explanation of, re of what we experience, right? I mean, let's call it that. Not, it may not be reality, but it's, it's, a, it's an explanation. Try to explain what we perceive. And that, I mean, there are certain things that are immutable, but most things are mutable and change over time. So uh, I would uh, definitely say that uh, I agree with your statement. Where, where do you think, which parts of it do you think she, she sort of tends to, to, to deviate from what seems to be relatively settled science or at least, or at least settled ideology to really heading into waters that, you know, for me, <clears throat> I'll just state it clearly are very progressive. And I don't think sort of 
are well settled by any stretch. And she sort of seems to think this is the way we need to be. And I think that's a very hard stretch to make at this point, um, whether we should be really making that kind of a leap of faith or we should just be saying, hey, let's keep iterating and looking. But <clears throat> yeah. that, that part to me, I think was a bit tricky at times. Well, I think she, she got into political correctness um, uh, you know, with the whole gender argument about you know non-binary gender i you know it did provoke a lot of time for me to think about some of these issues that that i have not i've been intellectually um lazy about thinking about um i do think there are children who are born psychologically with the with the gender that does not match their physical nature i i do believe that uh she made a statement in the book in that chapter up to two percent of children uh have sexual indifference you know that you can't tell what sex they are now as a practicing pediatrician who has seen i don't know how many newborns i've seen and, and you've seen uh, how many of yeah. you seen you know yeah. we, uh that doesn't jive with my reality of of life um but in any event uh I think that there are children who never feel comfortable with the gender that they've been assigned and uh, and need to take appropriate action at some point in their life to, to correct that if they feel strongly enough to do that. Right. Where, I, where I don't like is the pushing of gender dysphoria on, it's like asking every child, you know, are are you okay with with your gender when right. the, the it may not ever have been an issue for them, right? I, and I, and I don't know if you're seeing. I don't practice anymore, so I don't have day to day experience like that. But I was over at my old office today, and uh, one of my partners was saying he had a a patient who came in for a 15 minute slot who has decided that she's the wrong gender. She has ADHD. She's depressed. She has some substance use problems. I mean, these are tough, tough things, you know, for for a pediatrician to deal with and tough for young kids to deal with. And I, I think there's just been too much emphasis. We're putting too much pressure on very young children about gender. And I think we're putting too much pressure on them about race. Uh, There's another chapter that I had, I had problems with that I felt like politics was getting mixed into science. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sort of looked at a lot of those things too. I think for me, the gender question for children, especially comes down to what we should be doing by in a way is supporting whatever the children decide and they should be allowed to decide on their way, which path they're taking. And we should support them as parents and as people, because as, as stated, clearly there are some children who don't identify with their given chromosomal makeup and they're given sexual orientation and, and as humans and as pediatricians, we support kids implicitly. And so by definition, we're gonna support these kids in any way, shape or form they come to us. Where I struggled a bit was especially when she went into the discussion of, of not even assigning a gender to your child who's clearly one or the other physically until they decide who they're gonna be later. And if we did that for everybody across the board, I, I just don't understand how that would play out. And again, maybe it's just like, like you said, I haven't really spent enough time understanding this, but it's a very progressive approach 
that I think plays well maybe in inner cities. I'm not too sure it'll play well anywhere else. And just for our readers, I think that's just a heads up up front. Um, just like anything, it's information people can read. And I think we, we all um, you know, need to spend time thinking about these things. But for me, uh, you know, especially if, if her number, you know, 2% seems really high. I don't know where she got that from. I don't see any specific data that, that backs that up. Um, but, you know, in, 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 in my reality, that number seems to be much lower. So to, yeah. to say to everybody, you don't need to choose a, a sex for your child until they're uh, choosing it on their own just doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, to me. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it starts with the whole idea that there's no difference between boys and girls. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I mean, I think that's just denying reality. I'm sorry, yeah. but for my generation, from where I come from. That, that's just not the case. But let's think about the uh, tasks of childhood. You know, what, what's the major task? What's the major thought or, or overall arching theme of infancy and toddlers? I need to be protected. I need to be safe. Kids who aren't protected, who aren't safe, don't turn out to be normal adults generally. Then you get to the school-age kids. And what's, what's their big task? They got to identify with uh, somebody you know, form their personality and want to please. So most, you know, school age kids want to please their parents. They want to learn new skills. They want to, you know, grow and they want to be, they want to please their parents. Well, and then what, what happens when they get to be adolescents? Well, it's, I got to be my own person. I got to reject those people who've been uh, living with, and I've got to somehow come out at the other end, a unique person. You know, and so if you have the message, not in infancy, because I don't think this relates in any way to to infancy and and toddlers, but this whole there's no real gender and, you know, it's all fluid and we're going back and forth. That's my understanding of of some of this. Um, And you are at an age where you want to please your parents and they're sending you a message that, well, honey. You know, it's okay to be a boy. It's okay to be a girl. We don't want to put any pressure on you. You know, these aren't determined things. These are not biologically determined things. Do it. When you want to please them, well, you can see how that might suck a lot of young kids into wanting to please their parents by the message is, okay, I'm, I'm not comfortable in my skin. That's one issue. Then you get to the teenagers and they, they want to rebel. Well, what better way to rebel than to tell your parents that okay i look like a boy but i'm not a boy what a you know that's like starving yourself in front of your parents like anorexics do so i have a hard time with all this i mean i think the, the cultural message we're trying to be tolerant but i think we're actually foisting a lot of unnecessary anxiety on kids that's what i think yeah, I almost wonder if it's a law of unintended consequences again. I don't think anyone has a an agenda that is negative per se by heading down these pathways. I think people really truly think that this may be the best way to take the pressure off those few kids who do have this belief system. And so it's, it is it is a way of saying, hey, if everybody thinks like this, then those kids won't feel ostracized. But I think the law of unintended consequences may be the exact opposite, that maybe that 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 lack of assignment and and by by your statement there is a possibility and i agree that if you are 
unsure the whole time as a parent to your child, are you actually setting that child up for this decision on their own because they are trying to please you? There's, you know, we know what yeah. these kids do at this age. So, you know, there, there's a lot of unknowns here and I, I, and I am not even remotely going to tell the world that I'm the expert in this space, particularly, but like you having years and years and years of being in the office, taking care of kids, it, it just doesn't sit with me right yet that this is the way that we should be going until there's a little bit more research and understanding as to the, what we should be doing on this part of the game. Um, and, and, and we can make a better determination of what makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Anyway, I guess it's like science. We're groping through it and we'll work it out. Yeah. And and I think to me, that's one of the better points she makes in this book is that, you know, when she is coming back to her base, I think her base is very clear. Her base is don't be judgmental, be loving, spend time with your kids and listen to them. And boy, who can disagree with that? Yes. And and I know, you know, you being a writer of two books and, and your last book, being filled with this information you know i think you get that better than anybody that this is the to me that's the if i was going to condense this book down into you know a couple sound bites you know and say okay it's all backed by science you know uh, taking out to me sort of the controversial progressive views that i you know that, that many people aren't aligned with some maybe and to who to each their own that's fine but i think the sound bites that really make the most sense would be those Yes. Um, demanding, but warm, you know, listen yeah. to your kids, you know, make clear boundaries, reasonable boundaries, support, love them unconditionally, uh, be sensitive to their feelings. And, but I think that's, that's the sweet spot. And then she, t- she says that in that chapter on um, molding values and behavior. I mean, that's, that's what uh, uh, Diane Baumrahm Baumrind, how you pronounce her name, back in the 60s found. And that, that research has been uh, validated over and over again. Yeah. So, so I think parents need to step up and set limits and they need to, to um, uh, not demanding is probably not the best word for it, but, you know, have high expectations for their kids, but yeah. uh, be very supportive when they fail, let them fail uh, and be there to, pick them up and love them and move on yeah and i think yeah i think for me you know this book um you know we'll get into recommendations but i think i think to me this book because it says science-backed strategies for better parenting from tots to teens it's implicit that therefore it must be true and i think that's a very careful dodge um that people may be falling into the trap. I don't think the science of nutrition nor the science of social sciences is ever settled to the point that you can make that kind of claim unless you're basically stating, you know, the reality that this is a fluid project and we're all moving through it and, you know, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to learn and we're going to keep doing those things. Um, To me, that that's the only way you can really put science-based strategies ever behind the world of, of raising kids because there's so many variables and so many things that happen over time, even just cultures, right? I mean, look at the culture we're living in now versus what I was, what I was raised in and where, where you were raised. I mean, it's dramatically different now than then. And, and many things for the better um, by a long shot, but also things that are maybe not so much for the better. I mean, the, de- the you know, she has a whole chapter on, on, on um, social media, right. And, and how social media plays out and, and, 
you know, they're, they're, the, 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 the data on social media, I don't think is settled yet. I think there's still a lot more to be said about the, the risks and the benefits of social media. And to me, it was a little bit almost swept under the rug a little bit more than I would have liked it to be. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a technology it can be used in good ways. It can be used not good, good ways. I mean, like any technology. Uh, yeah. Parents need to be involved. I mean, she, she I came across quite strong in that chapter. I felt like she yeah. need to be involved in your kids. Uh, you know, the the media plan, the uh, the filters, the talking, what setting limits, what's okay, what's not okay. You know, I think that's pretty mainstream stuff. Advice she was giving in those chapters. Yeah, and I think that was another key point. Actually, going back to what I would put in the condensed version of the book is staying involved in your kids' lives. That's another one that I think she very invariably comes back to that is, you know, again, another what I would call truism. Yeah. You know, I don't think there needs to be any more science on that one. Being the more active you're involved in your kid's life, the more you spend time with them, those are acts of love. And love, there's no way love is ever anything but a net positive. So for me, that's an an automatic, um, automatic. Which is troubling because, you know, we have more and more single family parent families and you only have so much energy right and when it all comes down to you 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 can't put as much emotional energy into your kids as two parents can yeah that's my i'm old-fashioned but that's what i think well and again i you know not to put any shame or or you know any blame on a single parent because you know nobody wants to be a single parent i would think i think it happens by reasons of reality but the point being very true that if you don't have respite and that respite could be grandma, granddad, somebody else. Yeah. That respite is, is it, it makes it very daunting for a person to parent a child repeated, repeatedly over and over and over again, especially if they have any behavioral issues. Yeah. And so I, I think that's just, that's just truth. Again, this is not in any way, shape or form blaming a, a, a parent who ends up in a single parent situation. It, it is just the reality that it's more difficult and God bless you. Actually, it's the other way around. Like I, I, I give you more, props for for having to to muddle through that situation without somebody there to help hold your hand or or hand the child off to frankly mm-hmm. yeah i agree so i know you had a, a little bit of an issue with a review she had of paul Sachs. let's talk about that yeah it's, it's actually leonard Sachs. so oh, leonard as i said Sachs. he's a family doctor uh who's written by the way at least four pretty blockbuster kind of uh parenting books so he's he's got a lot of success uh he's an older fellow and uh but he has a phd in psychology as i said from university of pennsylvania and he he relies on his experience with families as well as studies to come to the conclusion that parents today are spending too much time trying to be liked by their children uh not being not being treated as adults, uh, the parents not being treated as adults, more as equals for their kids. The influence has shifted from parental influence to peer influence through social media and and other technologies. So, um, and he thinks parents aren't just not good at setting limits uh, and find it uncomfortable for whatever reason, and that the, they're not living up to their parental uh job and their parental expectations uh that's why he calls it the collapse of parenting and he thinks that that's why um bedtimes are not being enforced 
Um, rules of the home are not being enforced as well as, as previous generations. Uh, parents have more difficulty saying no to their kids. Uh, they're more indulgent of their children. Uh, and he thinks that a lot of the school problems, the ADHD is coming from sleep deprivation and from disorganized home life. So in a nutshell, I think that sort of summarizes his book. Miss um, Moyer really criticized him because she feels like it's just based on his experience, which I, I didn't get that impression. Um, he may have been looking at different science than she looks at, but she felt like it, it was too much experience-based and not enough science-based. Well, I don't think that necessarily makes the um, his conclusions invalid. Uh, it's what he's observed, and he's got a lot of experience that, that, she, that frankly, she doesn't have. You know, they, they come from the world in, from two different directions. And in, I come from the world of this world like Dr. Sachs does you know, with a lot of experience. I, you know, I don't have a PhD in psychology. I think I took one psychology class in, in college. That was it. So I can't evaluate. I, I don't know the literature the way she knows the literature, but I do know what I saw. And I agree with Dr. Sachs. I think parents are trying too hard to be their kids' uh, friends. And they're not, they're not good at limit setting as, as at least my parents were. I mean, there was no doubt where the line was. You, know, you, you didn't step over that line and there were going to be consequences if you did. I mean, they still loved us, but you know, there were consequences. I, and I just don't, I don't get that sense from the families that I took care of. And those were tens of thousands of families. And you get, you know, as a pediatrician, you get pretty intimately involved in families' lives. You know, you know, you sort of have a good sense of how everybody's treating everybody. Yeah, and I think it gets into the whole world of permissive parenting versus authoritative parenting versus authoritarian parenting. Yes, and she and which is interesting if she slammed Leonard uh, Sachs because there's that piece there where he does she does go into authoritative parenting being the model that makes the most sense, and I think there's a decent amount of literature looking into that. Again, nothing is ever settled, but it makes the most sense that what you're doing is you are not a friend of your child. You love your child to death, but you are setting limits for the child on what is otherwise behavior that is not in best keeping with where they need to be within the family unit and for themselves. And authoritative parenting tends to be the one that is, offers the kid the safest place to experience their their lives in, right? So depending on the age they're in, they're trying to bounce off you, love you, support you, and then later on fight against you and become more independent. And during that entire process, the, the parenting style that tends to work the best is not permissive and it's not authoritarian, right? right? It's, that, it's that middle of the road. And you and I see this every day, the parents that set reasonable limits on their kids and, and offer them freedom enough to experience the world, but not fall off cliffs and and, 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 you know, do things that are otherwise uh, bad for their psyche slash ability to stay alive, then those kids tend to do pretty well. We know very well the parents who are authoritarian, who hyper-restrict their kids. I think of, you know, when I went to church growing up and the kid who was in the front row with a really super long hair and the Megadeth t-shirt who was completely, you know, just out of character for church, it was the deacon's son. And oh, by the way, he happened to be the one who was the most off the chain in school, right? So, there, there, there is that sense that, you know, they're, they're the authoritative parent who is here for you, loves you, but has guidelines that they're, they're going to stick to. You know, you cross that line, we're going to have a consequence. Those kids tend to turn out the best. So that, I find it interesting that she didn't like Leonard Sachs's work, other than 
if she is a hard science person, maybe she can't accept anybody's opinion unless there is science behind it, whatever that science is. And well, not knowing her personally and not having spoken to her, I'm not sure why. Well, I, I've got to find the chapter. Uh, I, I should have pulled this out. But you can tell when she got to the chapter about punishment, there was, yeah. there was a discussion about punishment. They call it positive parenting. Yeah. Is, that what it, that, is that the term that she used? Yeah. That yeah. Some people don't think you should ever really punish your children. You can tell that she's a fan of that or, yeah. or moves in that direction because I wish I could find it quickly for you. Well, it, it you was, know, you, you, while you're looking for you and I know very well that that, you know, and again, in, in my experience in our clinic, not scientific, haven't done a study with 50 kids and came out on the other end with the social science literature published piece. But in, in my experience, that that overly permissive, non, you know, punished behavior tends to end up with a with a situation where the child's a little bit more off the chain yes um, well here a little bit I, I found it excuse me um it's in the chapter on shaping behavior and values and she this is from her bullet points and the first bullet point is the authoritative parenting is the is the best children thrive just like you're saying uh from that research the second point is respond to kids misbehavior first with positive discipline Acknowledge feelings, gather information, and explain how their actions affect others. Okay, I mean, I think most reasonable parents would probably do that. Yeah. If if your if your kid keeps misbehaving, it's okay to occasionally use mild disciplinary tactics like timeouts, but make sure you're doing them correctly. You know, you could tell she, she's sort of ambivalent about ever really saying, "Johnny, I don't accept that." Yeah. Go apologize for that. You know, does that sound like somebody who would who would do that? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, That that got my attention, too. I think that's why she didn't like Dr. Sachs. And and maybe this is, again, this is the generational differences between parenting styles. You know, you read the fourth turning. um, You know, that book and it goes through, you know, successive generations of American you know, social science behavior, but it, it, it more is a, is a study in how we, each generation successfully makes the next generation in 20 to 25 year cycles. And it, it is almost each one counteracts the other one because they may be, you know, if I wasn't raised with much love in my house, I'm going to smother my child with love. And we don't know how much this, this pattern repeats itself. I'm not unconvinced, honestly, in all of the reading I've done over the last 30 years related to pediatrics that we go through waves of parenting right and 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 things are different based on what's happening in society at the time i mean right now we have a a very polarized society which if you read the fourth turning is not abnormal based on what's happened in the last 75 years and so i almost wonder if her approach and and many of the social scientists right now is is a is an abject response to the previous 25 year cycle. I mean, to me, you know, that that makes the most sense. I think the the other big rub I had with her book, again, there's a lot of positives in this book, but you know, we're here to do a, a critique. <laughs> That's that right. She, is that she got she got political, right? And mm-hmm. and if you're doing a science-based book, right, keep your politics out, right? Sort of like when I'm on LinkedIn. And somebody puts a political post on LinkedIn. Stop it. LinkedIn is a business 
as a business platform to exchange ideas, keep your politics to yourself. And I think part of a, a social science book on how to raise children shouldn't have politics involved. I to a, totally to agree with that. Strictly understand what's going on. Let's discuss the science. And, and again, to, to, to the point, we don't have to agree on the science, right? That's okay, right? And I think for me, when you get into a dogmatic reality in medicine in any way, shape or form, you're just asking for trouble because sooner or later, something's going to come that may shape, change, do something. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm not a big fan of dogmatic speech, you know? And, and so for me, I, I, I like the idea of the science backing. I like the idea of looking towards the science because I am a scientist as well. And I love that. But I also don't think we should shun anecdote. I don't think we should ever shun ends of one personal experience, what's happening in your house, what's happening in your community, because those are realities, right? Pl mm -hmm. pl plural generalizations work great for middles, right? They don't work for the end. So we need to always keep in mind that whenever reading any book, these are primers, these are ideas, these are thoughts of what's coming, but they are not dogma, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly parenting has changed over the my lifetime uh, and as an example of that I just started thinking well how do these terms like helicopter parents and lawnmower parents and free-range kids yeah. and you know hurried kids latchkey kids you know on and on we didn't we didn't have terms like that 40 years ago because yeah parenting was more straightforward let's put it that yeah. way yeah. And, 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 and you spend enough time with other parents, right? And you see how they parent their kids. You see how you do it differently. And, and invariably, I have noticed that the common theme with kids turning out well is love, support, time spent, and lack of some major adverse childhood events. Yes, and I, and, I, and I think that's it, because I can even look to how my wife and I have raised Thomas and Bella or my sister-in-law and her husband who've raised their two boys. And we raised our kids relatively differently when it comes to permissiveness, authoritativeness, and different things. Mm -hmm. I would say my wife and I are a little more conservative in our approach, a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more authoritative. And, 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 you know, our, our, my sister-in-law, a little bit more permissive, a little bit more this, and, and her kids turned out phenomenal. Her two boys are amazing. And, and I think our two kids have turned out relatively well. Now, frankly, my wife did most of the work and I give her 99% of the credit, but if you looked at it just from a parenting style perspective, you would not expect an outcome that was great for both. But mm -hmm. I think the common theme was, both sets spent a lot of time with their kids. There was a very big village structure at home. There was a lot of love and there was an emphasis on the work is more important than the result. You're mm -hmm. not great until you've spent time working at it, but God bless it, kid. We're going to love you. And if you fail, we're here for you. And I think those themes pervaded both upbringing situations. And I think that to me makes the most sense, regardless of the science. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you also provide a stability, which, you know, is, is a huge factor for children. You know, they need to be feel safe. They can't learn unless they feel safe. Yeah. And uh, a healthy emotional environment. Uh, yeah. Those are the other factors that I think play in. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, your point's well taken. And I think as we go through, you know, a book like this, you know, I, I think 
you know, for me, Ms. Moyer did a great job of spending a lot of time looking through the literature. She combed it. I mean, she mm -hmm. spent the time, she did the due diligence, she did the work, and I applaud her for that. Um, for me personally, I think she took a, a deep dive too far down a progressive trail that I'm for personally not ready to head down, but that's just me. Many parents may love that. Mm -hmm. Many parents may not. But again, we're here to just critique it and give our thoughts. And again, so for me, you know, there's a lot in here that I think is great. I think there's more pages spent than probably is necessary on certain topics. Overall, again, I think the arch, the overarching theme is as we've spoken. So that's where I leave it. Yeah, more power to her. I, you know, I think overall it was a good book. You know, I used to give Doxmo stars to, to my book reviews. I would give her four Doxmo stars. Out of five? Out of five, yeah. yeah. Four out of five, yeah. Yeah, and I and I tend to think that would be me. It's not, it's not a, it's not a slam dunk five star like mindset or nurture shock or mm -hmm. or um, even Paul Rayburn's book that I love, Do Fathers Matter. Those are books where I sat there and said, bam, five stars, loved it. Everything about it was top to bottom. And again, um, I think you and I both agree. I'd give this four out of five stars. I think again, she gains a lot of credit for me by doing the research, regardless of what I think about some of it. I think she did. She did the work. Yeah, I agree. Any last minute thoughts? I think a parent who is looking, who doesn't know much about parenting, maybe a first time parent, this might be a, a more valuable book for them. I, it might bolster uh, new parents' confidence in some of their parenting decisions. Um, it wouldn't be first on my bookshelf, though, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, Paul. I think for me, for the first-time parent, you got a lot going on in your life. This is a dense, deep read. If you love reading a lot, go for it. If not, honestly, they just need to read. Great kids don't just happen, you know. And I'm not <laughs> saying that because it's your book. It's because your book is a good one, and it's and it's a a concise read, right? You can get it done relatively quickly. And I think it, it, it will be a good, simple first step for parents to really understand what does it take to raise a successful child from our perspective again, right? So your perspective, clearly you wrote it, but I agree with all of it, having read it, you know, multiple times. So for me, that would be where I would, I would send folks. Um, what other books would you like? I love Nurture Shock and actually- Yeah, I love I Nurture Shock. I just found yeah. out a couple of days ago, I'm going to interview Ashley Merriman in a couple of months. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I loved her book so much. I reached out to her and she accepted. So I'm excited to talk to her. I think that book is phenomenal. And then Paul Rayburn, I'd like to get him on one day and talk to him about his book. There are certain books that I think are, are just, they're, they're mind shifting. And I think Carol Dweck's work would be another book that mm -hmm. is just, you know, it's that whole book is worth a read mindset. And then, you know, what, what other books do you think of that come to mind? Well, I, I, I'm not thinking of another book. I had, did have another thought when you asked about, you know, final thoughts. One big yeah. hole I found in this in this book was, you know, she's concentrating on things that parents need to do to make uh, their children not assholes, or right. in, in her words. <laughs> I call yeah. them great kids. Right. Um, we, we have learned in the last 20 years that – some of the biggest things that shape negative outcomes in children are really more sociologic events than um, parenting events for, you know, the whole ACE uh, yeah. discovery 
that you know there are children who experience adverse childhood experiences and it even when, before they have language and thought that changes them for the rest puts them on a trajectory towards chronic illness and and all sorts of negative outcomes uh, sociologic outcomes so she didn't discuss that at all which to me is probably the biggest earth-shattering uh, information about parenting that is out there. I mean, I, I, sh- I assume your readers or your listeners have heard about ACE factors and, yeah. and the, yeah. the linear relationship between the number of ACE factors and, the, and negative outcomes. Um, it's a fascinating story. Uh, and actually, an internist discovered this in San Diego. I guess it was back early 80s. Is that, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Um, he wondered why his, his obese patients, he could get them skinny and then they became obese again. And, you know, why diabetics didn't take care of themselves, even though they had all the information on how to take care of themselves. And so he did a simple questionnaire where he asked them 10 questions. You know, were you ever sexually abused? Did you ever see violence in your house? Do people use drugs? Anybody in your family in jail? I'm not sure I can recite all 10 questions, but, you know, questions like that simple questions and he scored them and he could not believe what he found uh this is impacted them for the rest of their lives so that's a whole if if you want to know how not to create assholes yeah you you got to discuss that yeah Uh, i almost wonder if she didn't touch on that that'd be an interesting question to ask her but i almost wonder if she didn't touch on that because the people that tend to do those things aren't going to read this book anyway. Well, that's <laughs> you think she was just trying to sell some books. I, I think that whole title thing, she was clearly just trying to sell some books. Yeah. Well, it's hard yeah, not that... to walk by that in the bookstore and not say, what is that about? I can't say as I was not in, a little bit intrigued when I read it in Scientific American. I was like, oh, it's in Scientific American. It's got an intriguing title. It's by somebody who does science research. So I was like, well, this makes sense. I'm going to give it a whirl. Um, and, it, and so, yeah, well, it worked if uh, if that was her plan. I, the other thing I thought was interesting was a picture of the on the cover that shows a child choking a uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex stuffed animal with its tongue <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> it is like, <laughs> I'm not sure what message she's sending, but boy, that kid's clearly <laughs> got some issues. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? But I love it, Paul. And as always, just hope this is the first of many. Um, I recommended this book, so that means you're up for the next book when that time comes. But uh, okay, have a great evening. And as always, you know, I'm gonna. I'm going to leave it with my statement. Hug those kids. What do you want to say? Uh, Yeah, love them. Uh, Let them fail, but pick them up. And, uh, you know, just people got to be in it for the long haul. You know, it's just, you know, that's what it's all about. And that's what they'll remember. You know, and you're going to lose it sometimes. You're not going to, every day is not going to be your best parenting day. But that, that doesn't matter. Yeah. That really doesn't matter. And, it, and when you mess up, apologize too. I mean, that's there's a valuable lesson there. Yeah. You know, sometimes we lose it. Apologize, forgive yourself, start again, try to do better, try not to judge your kids and uh, give them give them more freedom. Yeah, exactly. I agree totally. Paul, awesome. All right. Have a great evening. You too. Thank signing you. off from Salisbury myself. <laughs> you're signing off from Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> it's the North right. Carolina contingency out. Out. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye.